I want to talk about the way he told the story tonight. We call this the parable of the prodigal son, but there is an older brother that's involved here, one that sucks when his brother comes home, and uh, one that will not come in, and one that refuses, and one that is downright mad at his father. And a question I would like to ask us tonight is why do we always leave this older son out? I think for one thing, he spoils the happy ending of it all, but I think there's more to it than that. There's something about the way that Jesus tells the story that makes me uncomfortable. I mean, when I really look at it and look at it as a parable and as a story and as Jesus actually telling something to me that has a meaning, I begin to get past the joyous days of the prodigal son returning home, the fatted calf and all of that and the father running and kissing him and holding him around the neck and the joy that filled that household. And then he ends this or comes to the end of this about the oldest son that refuses to come in. You see, as far as we are concerned, we could end the story right in the 24th verse. For this my son was dead and is alive, and he was lost and is found, and they begin to be married. But Jesus had something a little farther in mind than that. He wanted not only to get us the idea that someone can squander their inheritance and come back to him, and he would be willing to accept them, but he also wanted to give us an idea of some individual's feelings when this happened. I think perhaps he might have been talking to us. And that's why when I read the last of this, it makes me uncomfortable. I don't know about you. But we have no problem dealing with the prodigal son. We know the type. The individual grows up in a well-to-do family. He's spoiled with too much time and too much money. He thinks he's grown up, wants to get out from under his father and behind his uh, brother's shadow, wants to be on his own far away where nobody knows who he is and he has no name to live up to. I've looked around at individual Christians who would like to hide sometimes and go away and have no name to live up to. But if we've got the precious name of Jesus, we have a name that we need to live up to. And this prodigal wanted to get out from under the rigid rules and the laws of his father, not knowing that those laws were made for his benefit. He wanted his freedom, but he didn't want the responsibilities that goes with his freedom. He wanted to be out from under his father's thumb, but he didn't want to be parted from his father's bankroll. Now, we can almost identify with that in a lot of cases. He wanted to get all that he could out of life, everything that he ever wanted. When we look at it, we know the type, the fanciest clothes he wanted to wear, he wanted to have the fastest cars, the best food, expensive liquor, beautiful women. He was out to get all the gusto out of life, but life eventually took all the gusto out of him. I think therein is a good lesson for young and older life. We look around, and especially I want to talk to you young people in a little while, we look around and the world is inviting. It offers us almost everything that we don't seem to be able to get in God's house or in God's company offers us a good time, at least for the present. But there is a reckoning day. There comes a time when we're going to have to face our life and we're going to have to face God. And eventually, this boy on his own could not make it. He needed his father. And you and I on our own cannot make it. We need our father. We need the master. So everything was lost. 
Without his father's money, his personality just took him as far as the pig pen. And might I say tonight, that's just about as far as our personality would take us. Without God, just to the pig pen. That's all we would have except for the power of God in his life. But it was selfishness that took this boy away from his father's house. And whether we want to believe it or not, it was selfishness that brought him back. I want you to look at it in all reality, in the reality way. He was brought back a lot more humble, all right, but he was still selfish. If you notice, he didn't come home because he knew his father was worried or needed him. He didn't come home to set his father's mind at ease. He didn't go home to patch things up with his older brother. But he came home because he was hungry. And he came home because he knew that there was food in his father's house. And there is an example of self-centeredness and selfishness. And we know the type. But that we're going to leave that young man where he is. And we're going to talk for just a few moments what type of person was his brother. What type of individual was this man? And when you look at him, he's almost the type that any church would invite into their presence and make him a prime member of this church. This brother was not a playboy like his younger brother. We find this older boy working in the field. We find him running his family father's business, the family business. We find him taking care of his father in his old age. He was a type of a decent, hard-working individual, responsible type of individual you'd like to be associated with. You take the prodigal son and the way he was, you don't want to be associated with that type of individual. But present you with an individual that I have just described to you, this would be the type that you'd like to have your life associated with and actually would like to have in your church. And so the time comes when the older brother hears some music. A lot of things happen in his father's house and he's out there working. I mean, he don't have time to play around. He's got to get the crops in or milk the cow, slop the hogs, whatever he had to do there. I'm sure he didn't slop any hogs <laughs> because the Jews didn't believe in it. But whatever he had to do there, taking care of the vineyard, the grapes, or whatever, and he hears some noise there, and he wants to know what's happening. And the servant tells him what happened while well, your brother's here. And your father would like for you to come into the house. The older brother wouldn't come in. He wouldn't have no part of that joyous celebration that was going on there uh, simply because his little brother had went out, took everything that he had, and squandered it, and then came back home. And uh, he said, in other words, what he had and what he had coming, you gave it to him. And the rest of it, and the father said, said it in, in the scripture here, didn't I give you everything else? Isn't everything else yours? And here is where the rub comes in. He had a legal complaint. Everything else was supposed to uh, belong to him. And he had a legal complaint when the little brother comes home and dad gives him a celebration the likes of uh, this elder son had never had. And then the uh, father tries to appease him a little bit and soothe things over and it just makes it worse. And uh, put yourself in the older son's place. When the father says, all that I have is yours. Now, I'm going to ask you a question. Did not the older son have a right to say, in essence, yes, it is mine. It belongs to me. I remember when you divided the inheritance and you gave him his and uh, the rest of it was supposed to be mine. Yes, I remember that. 
and you divided your goods up and he wasted his share and now he's come back and everything that is left is mine and you're trying to give him what belongs to me too you see that fatted calf actually belonged to the older brother everything left on that farm or whatever it was belonged to the older brother and I think this is the reason that we tend to leave the older brother out of the parable because from our point of view the older brother is right and we're going to have to admit that he's right and from the point of view Jesus is presenting to us the older brother is wrong and anytime our view clashes with the view of Jesus it makes us uncomfortable because we know that if anybody is wrong and when you disagree with Jesus we had better find out why we disagree with him we'd better begin to look and wonder what does he see here that you and I are not able to see as far as on the surface is concerned the older brother had a right to feel like he was feeling but as far as Jesus was concerned he had no right to feel the way he was feeling so we're disagreeing with him and so you've got to search out what in there why what makes Jesus agree with this story and point it out and agree with the younger brother or with the father. So we have to look at this older brother's life. Let's look at what type of a son he was. He was respected and he was a responsible boy. He was a good Jew and he kept all the commandments. He honored his father and he accepted certain things as right and wrong as the best he possibly could and he lived by that. And so, in an overall view, what was wrong with this older boy? And then when we really look at it, what was his problem? And when you look at it, he was just as self-centered as the younger brother was. And he was just as selfish in his own way as his younger brother was. The only thing was, he was just simply doing it in more a more acceptable way a more social way so that he could get on the inside and uh, he was so occupied with casting glances at his own goodness that he had no time to see anything else I mean he was looking at himself and he had no time to be comparing himself to anybody else I want you to notice verse 29 I want you to look at that lo these many years have I served you and I never disobeyed your command yet you never gave me a kid that I might make merry in my, with my friends. In that sentence, one out of every six words is I and me and mine. And when you look at that, he was a good man and he'd done so many things right over the years and he was right there to tell his father about it. In other words, uh, little Jack Horner would fit perfectly right there in his mouth when he said, what a good boy am I. And that is certainly what he was trying to portray, a picture of self-centeredness and selfishness just like his younger brother was. The only difference was he just expressed it in a way that people would accept it. I said all that to say this, out here in this world are prodigal sons. Out here in this world are individuals that have taken what God has given them and squandered that and wasted their life in a sense and wasted their monies and has sought to come back into the Father's house and God wants them back 
And God has forgiven them and came in and said, Let's have a good time. This thy brother was lost and now he's found. And then you have the elder sons who have stayed in the church. I mean, they have walked and towed the line and they have hoed the corn and they did whatever us dad wanted them to do and was so good and was taking care of the household and all of this. And then when somebody comes in that squandered everything and God has forgiven them, sometimes we'll cast sideways glances at them and said, no, no, uh -uh. I'm not going to have that. I'm not even going to come in. I don't believe that God could honor that. How many times you ever heard people say, if that's the Holy Ghost, I don't want any of it. Let me tell you something tonight, friend. When God washes us and cleans us up and sets us where we ought to be, it's done right. All right? It doesn't make any difference which direction we go or how we go. Uh, when God takes care of it, He does it right. And uh, this individual had just as much to repent over as his younger brother. Do you think this man loved his father? I doubt very seriously he did. He certainly didn't love his brother. I don't think he loved his father either. I don't think he was taking care of his father because he loved him. I think he was taking care of him because of what was his and what would be his at his father's death. And he was being just as selfish as this other individual. Just what can I get? Now stop just a minute. Let's stop just a minute and look at individuals sitting in church houses all over the world that have never went out and got drunk, have never run around with crazy women, <laughs> and never run with fast cars, and never, never stayed sober all the time, have never departed actually from God's ways whatsoever, and they're sitting in the church houses filled with that. And here's individuals that stumble their feet and their toes and they've hurt. They've got down in the muck and mire and they don't know where they're at. And they come in and they want God to forgive them. And here's somebody sitting with a judgmental attitude. We're, we're getting ready to start a new year, all right? And I, I have a feeling that this year, uh, all over the land, that God's going to make a difference in us. And He's going to hold us accountable in some ways and somehow for individual ideas and opinions and judgmental attitudes perhaps that we've had and make us ready for when he brings the prodigal son in to wash him up, he wants us to be ready to join the feast and not sit outside and look at him and say, well, all these years they've been out there doing their thing and I've been steady with you, Dad. <laughs> I haven't done anything whatsoever. Uh, uh, for you and I can't bring myself to believe that you're going to give them something that really should belong to me. Why don't we join together in one course with Jesus Christ and say God saved the world. God you bring them in. Doesn't make any difference where they've been or what they've done. You bring them in. And the elder brother consecrated all his attention on how good he was. I doubt seriously that there's anybody in there but out there but me that has to reckon with that. But I have to get up and look myself in the mirror almost every day. And I've got to look over the day and the week. And all the times that I've stood out in my own eyes and thought just how good I really am. <laughs> and compare my life with the life of somebody that's living out there. And looked and I have to ask myself the question, why am I worshiping God? Why have I been true and faithful to God? Has it been because I actually loved him from the depths of my heart that I'd do anything for him? Or have I been waiting to get something from God? 
You've got a whole world out here and religiosity has intertwined itself in there and individuals actually come to Jesus for what he can give them financially and materially. There's a need for the church world to focus its attention on something besides them. The young man came back to his father, same selfish condition. The older brother refused to come in and the story ends with a divided house. The story ends with the father's heart torn apart. He's got a son that he had longed and cried for and stood watching and waiting over the years for that young man to come back. And when he saw him, his heart was made glad. I mean, there was something in the heart of God that welcomes individuals back into the fold. He can't turn his back on them. And he'd spent a lot of times doing that. And he just knew that everybody would be thrilled to death of it. And then he goes outside and he meets the, the coldness of the elder brother. And the story ends with the father uh, pleading with him and said, look, it was me. It was the right thing to do for us to welcome this lad back, your brother. But he didn't even claim him as his brother. He said, this thy son. And that has a good connotation for today. If humanity doesn't meet the criteria of our church and of our belief, we seemingly fail to call him our brother. And what God has called his sons, then some way it deems us to us to call them our brother. Because he actually is. But he's standing outside pleading with this individual. And he said, why you're always with me. I haven't turned my back on you. All I have belongs to you. And it was a good thing that we would do this. In other words, I think God was saying, in a sense, or the Father was saying here, I thought that's what you would want to do. I raised you in my house. I give you all my benefits. You sat around my table and I saw the works of somebody that was good and I failed to understand why you would not want to welcome him home. And it's left there. So we have a younger brother, prodigal son. And then we have the older brother. And then there's another figure in here that we better reckon with. That's why the father stands out in this parable. He's the only one that doesn't focus his attention on himself. I thought, God help us. No wonder Jesus asked us to be like him. He wanted our attention focused upon somebody else. Anytime we drop to our knees, very little attention ought to be made to our needs. It ought to be focused upon the needs of somebody else that doesn't have near what we've got. We ought to ask God to encompass around and build a tabernacle around them and save them and to help us and strengthen us. And Jesus says he recognized this prodigal son a great distance off. And we've said this before. He saw him coming. He was looking for him. Nobody ever leaves God. Nobody ever moves out from God's presence but what God's heart is not still stirring inside and he's looking for those individuals to come back. We might have put them in hell but God hasn't. He still reaches out. They might have crossed us. Uh, they might have done us some dirt but God is still wanting them to be part of the household of faith in his life. And some way he's trying to get us to focus our attention upon what the world needs. This boy needed something. 
He came back because he was hungry. I, I don't know how he changed his mind, but regardless of why the reason he came back, God was glad he was there. The Father was glad he was there. And it really doesn't matter why we come to God. God just is glad that we're there in his presence. He knows if we're close to him, he can do something with us. He can handle us. But if we're way out there someplace, he can't touch our lives. And that's why it's good. And that's why he loves it when we come in to the household of faith. And he knows he can work on us. He knows he can do something with our lives. He knows that we've tasted the world out there. I like the individuals. I, I, I don't see any reason sometimes for individuals to get out in the household of faith. But there's something about that world out there that leaves them hungry and naked and starving and takes everything they've got from them that makes them know and think the second time before they out, go out again because they know what's out there. And friend, we ought to recognize that. We ought to know what we was before God found us and before we came into His house. We ought to know it's lonely and it's dirty and hearts ache out there and souls cry out there. We ought to know this. And we ought to never, never at any time feel bad about being in the presence of God. This world offered us nothing before, and it's got nothing out there for us again. And an individual that has left God and found that out is probably the most miserable individual in this world. But Jesus said he recognized this young man afar off. And why did he know this? Why did he recognize him afar off? I'm sure he had a lot of things to do, this father did. He was still running a farm, but he was, he was not concentrating his attention on himself. He had lost something. I said he had lost something. And if the church could wise up to this and believe that God is talking about us, when we lose something, it ought to bother us. I mean, it ought to shake us way down in the bottom of our boots to realize we've lost something. And not just say, well, thank God they're gone. They wasn't doing us any good anyway. We ought to feel a loneliness down inside to know we've lost something. Something that did belong to God doesn't belong to Him anymore. And uh, the Father was looking out, concentrating not on Himself, but He's looking outward away from Himself to the Son was yet away out in the distance there someplace. Oh, church, let's get our eyes off of one another a little bit now. And let's look out in the distance someplace. There's a wandering soul out there that needs a touch of God's hand and a touch and a feeling that only God can give. There's somebody out there that's perhaps left the Father's house and others that never come in. But this man was standing there looking for a son. And there's a name for an outward look like that. You know, we've always, and I think I put it on our cards, uh, with Faith Outreach Church looking, uh, reaching upward and outward. And uh, there's something about an outward look, and you've got to look outward before you can reach. And there's something about it, and there's a name for that. And that name is very simply love. Anytime that we're looking out beyond ourselves, Anytime our eyes is focused upon someone that is hurting out there. Oh, I know you've got problems. Every one of us in here has got problems that you don't have anything compared to individuals that have the same problems or more than you do out in this world and they don't even have God in their lives. We ought to just stand up and say, thank God for the victory that He gives us and the victory over the adversary. We know some way or somehow with God in our lives, regardless of the adversity in our life, we're going to be winners. We ought to know that. But there's individuals out there that's never been touched by divinity. 
Never knowing what it's like to stand in the presence of God. Never knowing what it's like to feel the heavy weight and load of sin lifted from their shoulders and feel the freedom in their life. I'll never forget. I ain't knowing about God all my life. I'd heard about Him all my life. My father was a minister. I was raised in church. I'd slept under and on more church benches than most of you have ever seen. And I did a good job of sleeping, but there's some things that landed way down inside of me. But friend, I never knew what release was. I never knew the feeling of complete release until I met Jesus as my personal Savior. Until as an old boy had had lost his health and lost everything else and was hungry and thirsty and needed something and reached a hand out here to the world and it gave me nothing uh, but, but stomped uh, in my face and stomped my hands uh, and I finally come to the conclusion that this boy needed Jesus Christ for his own and I'll never forget bending my knee to him and I felt the load lift over my shoulders and friend it's never been there since because when God takes it he keeps it I never felt so clean in my life. Oh, I've been dirty a little bit in this world. I haven't walked like I ought to walk, but I found out one thing. There is washing of the water by the Word of God. I get in that, and it washes me up, and it challenges me. But this father was looking for his son. He didn't give up on him. The older brother probably didn't care whether he came back or not. He was too busy doing his own thing. He was too busy working out his own salvation and doing his own thing. He had completely forgotten about anybody else existed. It was just him. Love's a hard word to define. Did you know that? But I think we can come close. I think love's just simply paying more attention to other people than you do yourself. And I think we can really encompass God's love in one little neat package and really know that we have his love when we see other people and other people's needs before we see your own, especially those that don't know God. Love is just simply being concerned about other people, knowing that they have a need. And the Father's concern was for both his sons. He loved them both. I can imagine I've been through it. I know what it's like to have brothers and sisters at odds with one another and sisters at odds with one another. I know what it does to a father's heart. And a father is always wanting to make peace inside. And he's always wanting them all to come together. And this father's heart was breaking. He had embraced. He had loved. He had cared. And he just knew this old boy out here. He had never saw anything out of him other than, than what he was working at. And he just knew this old boy would be glad to see his younger brother. And he couldn't get him inside. The story ends there. The father's concern was for both. I read something and entwined it in this. George Buttrick says, It's a good thing the father got to the prodigal son before the elder brother, or the prodigal would have turned around and been thankful for the far country and the pig pen. And as I looked at that, I thought, Yeah, present day. It's not 2,000 years ago, and it's not a parable. It's present day. Because a lot of times if an individual that comes to God or comes back to God, if they don't get to God first and the feeling and God lets them know He loves them and they meet up with some moss-back Christian that had camped in a church all his life and never felt the power of God and didn't care for anybody else, he would have been thankful for the pig pen and been thankful for our far country. That friend, let's don't be responsible for driving somebody out in this world. Let's have a heart that would reach them and reach way down into their lives. I said we're entering into a new year. We're just a few days from it. 
1989. I don't know what it's going to bring. That one thing I'm praying, God, I don't want to go through a year like 1988. I want to see something happen in my life and in my soul and in your people and in the house of God. I want to see a move towards you. I want to see a challenge in an individual's life. And I want our heart to be penetrated by the love of God. I want us to be concerned enough about individuals to quit being judgmental and quit, being, uh, uh, quit asking for proof of individuals' lives. And when they come to the house of God, be glad they're there. He goes on to say, George Buttrick does, that the elder brother is a portrait of the church. Now he said that. And I looked at that and I thought, yes, I believe he's right. Maybe that's why we don't like the story. Maybe that's why we don't like the part about the older brother. That sometimes we're afraid Jesus is talking about us. We find it easy to identify with the prodigals around us. But do we love them? I have to ask myself these questions first. Do we love them? Do we love them enough to make them a part of our prayer and a part of our life? The prodigal is a drunkard out there. That's lost touch. Prodigal is a prostitute, the drug addict. Individuals out there that are not able to climb the social ladder, maybe as some of us are. Individuals that maybe don't have food on their table or are clothes on their back or maybe not even a place to live. Individuals that are struggling. We can identify them, we can see them, and we can identify, we know they're there. But do we love them? Do we as the church of God actually love them? Or do we see them afar off? Another social class, another race, somebody that we would rather just not get entwined with. Uh, uh, do we see them afar off enough to run with open arms and see them out there and embrace them and say, listen, if you're looking for something, if you're tired of this life, if you're drowning in the sea of despair, if you're lost and you don't know what to do, if you want a way out of this pig pen, let's go to the Father's house. I want to show you that there's still meat in the Father's house. Sometimes I wonder if there's enough food in the Father's house for anybody but us. I'm wondering sometimes if what we don't eat, we don't trample under our feet. And I think this ought to remain as a challenge to us. So when we see the prodigal son, we can do two things. We can see them afar off, but our vision has to be sharpened. We have to sharpen our vision. I was reading, and I about lost this, and I couldn't find my note on that. I usually just not jot notes down, and I put them someplace. And, and uh, I have spent a lot of time, you know, I'm the world's worst at filing things. I've got my own system the way I file, and I just have to search through it until I find it. Their opponents before their opponents actually could see them. I thought God help the church to increase its eyesight. Help us to practice a little bit walking out and looking far off until finally we can see somebody out there because they're out there. And I think we need some practice in that, don't you? I think our hearts some way needs to be in it. I think we ought to practice seeing them because they're out there. They're out there and sometimes we don't see them but we have a choice of just welcoming the prodigal with open arms, or we can be like the elder brother. We can work in our fields of self-righteousness and refuse to come in when we have a prodigal that's around someplace. We was in a church one time. It's not very far off, and it's not, uh, it's, well, it's not too close from here, but it's, uh, it's not a very long time ago when they wanted certain individuals in the house of God. 
They didn't want but just certain plants. And I thought there's the elder brother working in his field of self-righteousness, failing to, refusing to come in when a prodigal comes in, saying, oh, God couldn't forgive them. Look what they've done. Well, look at our own life a lot of times and see how forgiving God really is. You see, God was willing to forgive this. Uh, the father was willing to forgive this elder brother for his feelings if he had just done it. And we need to hear all of this term. Not just the prodigal, but three persons are involved. The prodigal, the elder brother, and the father. And the curious thing about this parable, and I noticed it, that it doesn't have any ending. Just look at it and see how it's left hanging. And you wonder how come. That's because Jesus leaves the answer to us. We can write the final chapter or the final line or the final verse. We can write verse 33 and end the parable of the prodigal son. If we're so mind to, we can write it, that the elder brother saw his wrongdoing, repented to his father, and came in and joined the jubilee and eat part of the fatted calf and enjoyed the feast. Or we can write the ending to that, that the elder brother refused to come inside. The elder brother still cast side glances. He still could not accept the fact that the father was a forgiving father and forgive his brother. That ending is left up to us. Now, I'm wondering tonight, as we close this message, what type of ending that Faith Outreach Church is going to write? What is verse 33? What type of uh, ending are we going to give for this parable? It was meet that we should make merry. It was the right thing to do and be glad. For this thy brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. I don't know about you, but I know the type of answer I'd like to write. I'd like to end with verse 33, and if I needed a verse 34, I'd like to use that. And the elder brother, being pricked in his heart by the words of a loving father, come to realize his selfishness and self-centeredness and fell down upon his knees and repented and walked arm in arm with a father that loved him into the house and joined the festivities and made again his love with his younger brother. That's the way I would like to end it. But not every church and not every individual is going to write an ending like that. A lot of them is going to pin verse 33. And the father returned back to the house, broken-hearted, because the elder brother refused to be part of the festivities. The question, saints of God tonight, is left to us. You know, it's not too many scriptures, and I've searched for a few. There's not too many places where God allows us the ending. And when I looked at that, I had to bow my knee. Tears flooded my eyes, and I mean it. As I thought, thank you, Lord, for giving me a chance to write an ending to this story. Because when I get through, I'm going to write the same thing. And everybody lived happily ever after. Shall we stand?